0: Book of 1 Thessalonians is on our heart this evening chapter number 1 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 we're going to begin preaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians this evening and series we're going to start entitled preparing for the second coming amen. preparing for the second coming I believe the church at Thessalonica would be a church that was preparing for the second coming amen and you and I need to be prepared. And you may say, now, preacher Darren, I'm already prepared. Well, hey, man, I thank God for it. But there may be some people still not saved yet. Amen. And the Lord's still preparing. Amen. He's got, a, he's got a prepared place for a prepared people. Amen. But he's still working in our lives. He's preparing for the second coming. So 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Now, we know that this city of Thessalonica is a modern-day city. Today it is Thessaloniki and it is in Greece. It's an important city. It's an industrial city. It is the second biggest city in all of Greece just behind Athens. During World War II, it was a ba- during World War I, it was a base for the Allies. During World War II, it was captured by the Germans and I believe it was 60,000 Jews that they took out of Thessaloniki. Uh, and they took them and they had them be part of the Holocaust and they murdered them. It is the ancient city known as Therma, and we know that Alexander he renamed the city Thessalonica in 315 BC. When I think about the city of Thessalonica and the book of Thessalonians, I think number one, tonight we're going to preach on this message the church with a great and a mighty impact. Tonight we need to be a church. Making a mighty impact yes, for the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this chapter, number one, chapter number one, is about a church making a great impact. Now, you and I, we're blessed of God. And you and I will never know on this side of eternity the impact that we're making in our community, in our area, even in our city. But there is an impact that you're making. You may look around sometimes get discouraged and think there's no impact being made But I promise you there's an impact being made. And this early church at Thessalonica made a great impact. When Paul came through there, they were just a bunch of pagans, just a bunch of heathens, not saved, servant idols. They were in terrible shape. And Paul comes through. Let's read verse 1. Verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just stop to say this. The first thing that a church that's making a mighty impact has got to do, it's got to be one that hears the gospel. You need to write that down. We need to hear The gospel. Say, Preacher Darren, I've already heard the gospel. You need to hear it again. We need to hear the gospel again and again and again. Let's think about some of these characters here. Paul, very first one listed here. Paul heard the gospel. You remember who Paul was? Paul was born a Jew, raised up and trained by Gamaliel, one of the greatest of all the teachers. And he was probably educated to be a Pharisee and a rabbi. And he was also a free-born Roman citizen. He's also born up in a day and age in which the Greek culture was dominating, the New Testament mostly written in Greek. And so he grows up in this time. And he begins to hear about a church that's being launched. And he begins to persecute the church. And he goes after the church. And then one day, as he's got letters in his hand to persecute the church and arrest people, He met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and the light that shined was greater than the noonday sun and it knocked him off his beast into the Damascus dirt and he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? He got saved right there on his face in the Damascus dirt on his way to persecute the church, he got saved. Scales on his eyes, the light was so bright. Three days he was in that condition. And he went, and we know Ananias laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, and his scales fell off his eyes. And he baptized him, and, and, and now Saul has become Paul, which means little. And he goes out and starts preaching the gospel, and everybody's scared of him. But eventually, as God brought him through the wilderness and trained him up, he became a mighty man for God. He had missionary journeys. On his first missionary journey, he went all over Asia Minor, establishing church after church after church after church, he and Barnabas. Then contention between he and Barnabas split the team, and they bring in Silas. Now it's Paul and Silas. They determined to go on a second missionary journey. And as they did, they're going to go to all the churches that were already started and check on them and see how they're doing and see if they need anything and preach in all those places. Until the Holy Ghost said, not so fast. You're not going to turn north. You're not going to turn south. You're not going back east. There's only one direction for you to go, west. And Paul was amazed that he was forbidden by the Holy Ghost to go to certain places and preach. You just think, well, if the door opens, I'll go preach. But sometimes that's not what God wants. You mean to find the will of God. And so he we went all the way to Troas, which was a seaport city. He went as far, I think he went as far to the west as he could go. And he sat down and he said, Lord, I'll swim if I have to. But where am I? You, the Holy Ghost won't let me go anywhere else. What to do now? In Acts chapter number 16, turn there with me. Acts chapter number 16, as Paul was praying. Uh, verse number 8, they came. They, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Macedonia is across the sea. He's at the seaport. He's got to get on a boat and go to the other side and step his foot onto a new continent called Europe. You and I ought to be praising God right there that the gospel was headed our direction. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering, the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. And Paul went by places called Samothracia and Neapolis, and he came to Philippi. Remember, he went down to the river, and there was a bunch of women down there having a prayer meeting. And he began to share the gospel down there. And listen A great church comes from David that hear the gospel. And when he preached the gospel, there Lydia and her whole household got saved. And a church began to uh, be established out of her own home there. And we know that he cast an evil spirit out of a fortune-telling girl. And for that, he and Silas were arrested, thrown in jail, beaten, stripes on their back. And what did they do in the midnight hour? They began to sing. And praise God and give Him thanks. And God sent an earthquake, and the jailer got saved and his whole household. And they they leave Philippi, chapter number seventeen. They come to Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they come to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse two, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Who did he preach to? The congregation at the synagogue. Who did he preach? He preached Jesus. Read, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed. A church is established now in Thessalonica. But just because some believe doesn't mean everybody will. Great persecution and rejection of the gospel came. The gospel he preached first to the Jews at Thessalonica. Some got saved, some didn't. Then the Greeks, the Gentiles, began to receive the gospel in great numbers. The Jews got upset, some of the unbelieving Jews, and they began to take Jason of that household and haul him off to court. And Paul had to pledge that he would leave. And he he preached there three days, three Sabbath days. And a great work of God was established in Thessalonica. The Bible says, skip down with me, verse number 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. Why? Because of the persecution that was so great. They sent them to Berea and they started in Berea preaching the gospel. Verse 11, these were more more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness and mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came there also, they came thither also, and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. Now here's Paul. He's having to leave Silas and Timothy at Berea. And Paul has to go on to Athens alone. And there, there's all kinds of idolatry and paganism. Preacher Darren, you're getting off course. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, if you're going to be a great church, you've got to hear the gospel call. Hear the gospel call. Paul, number one, received the gospel call. Silas received the gospel call. Timothy received the gospel call. He's hearing the gospel and they got saved. Thank God for it. And now the people at Thessalonica, some are saved. People of Berea are saved. And in Athens, they're pagans. They reject the things of God. So much so, he had to leave Athens and he went to another city named Corinth. Into that region, and another great church was established. Listen, Paul got so worried about the church at Thessalonica that he got a hold of Timothy, and he said, Timothy, will you go back and check on them? I'm worried about them. I'm praying for them. I don't know what's going to happen to them. And Timothy went back to Thessalonica to check on them there. So number one, if you're going to be a great church, you've got to hear the gospel. And if you'll hear the gospel, there'll be conversion. And if you hear the gospel after conversion... Maybe you'll have some friends. He's got some gospel companions. Uh, Look look with me back in Thessalonians chapter one, verse one. Paul, we've talked about him getting saved. What about Sylvanus? Who is that? That's the long version of Silas. You know, Sylvanus and Silas are the same person. And there's Timothy. These have a gospel connection. They're writing to the church of the Thessalonians. It's not, listen, there is nothing said about this church that tells us how big their building was. We don't know how big their parking lot was. There's no details of their youth ministry. We have no idea of their outreach. We have no idea about all the different programs that you and I try to attribute it to the local church. The only thing we know is it's not about bricks and mortar, rocks and stone, The church is about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a local body of believers. It's not people here, there, and yonder. A body, your body is all here tonight. It's not separated in different states. Amen? Amen. The church is a local body of believers. Amen. Amen? And Paul begins to write to them to encourage them In the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins to give them blessings. Look, he says, grace, verse one, grace be unto you and peace. Who's it from? From God our Father. and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing for me to say to you, grace and peace be unto you from Darren Waltrip. That won't help you very much. (laughs) But if God gives you grace and God gives you peace from he and the Lord Jesus Christ, honey, that is a blessing. In verse 2, Paul says, we give thanks to God always for you all. You know what he's doing? He's praising God. He's praising God and giving thanks for the people. When was the last time you gave thanks for the people of the local church here at Bethel? We pray for the sick, what ones we know that are sick. We we pray about souls being saved, especially those that that we have a real burden for. But are we praying and thanking God for the believers that are gathered at the Bethel Baptist Church? Is there an appreciation that there's a church here or is it just a sense of entitlement and an expectation that it's just always gonna be here? Well, we've made that mistake before. They can shut you down pretty quick if if they try. So hear me, Paul is praising God for the church that's back in Thessalonica. You know where Paul is when he's writing this? He's not with them in Thessalonica. He is removed from Berea. He is removed from Athens. He is in Corinth. This is his first epistle that is being written to any church and it is sent to the believers at Thessalonica. I thought that very important. And not only is he praising God, but look what else he's doing. Making mention of you in our prayers. He is praying for them. He is burdened for them. He is worried for their well-being. Why, Preacher Darren, would he worry in the day and age in which he lived? I'll tell you why. Because when he was there for three weeks, they ran him off and they arrested Jason and many in his household. They assaulted them. They assailed them. They arraigned them. I'm telling you, it was an uproar. A tumult was made. It was a major Action that was going on against the church at Thessalonica. And Paul is burdened and he's praying for them that they'll have faith and that they'll have love to persevere and to go through. What about that? Paul's burdened for them. And he's praying for them without ceasing. And he's praising God for them. Look in verse number three. Paul says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. He's remembering their past work of faith. The labor. What is it, preacher? We're not working for our salvation. Salvation is given to us by grace. But after we get saved, we'll work. We'll show our faith. Our faith will be shared to others. In the city, in the community. These people at Thessalonica, they didn't hide in a cave somewhere. They didn't hide behind closed doors. They got out and began to witness and share the gospel. They had a work of faith. Have you worked today for the Lord? Not only is it a past work of faith to spread the gospel, their labor, but look, he says, your labor of love. That's present. They were determined to love everybody in their church. Can we say that about us? Are you determined to love everybody at Bethel Church. They were determined to love everybody in the, in the city of Thessalonica, the second biggest, biggest city in Greece. They're going to determine all the unbelievers too. It's a, look at the word, labor. It's not easy to love people. There's just some people you have to really work to love, you have to have some godly grit. You have to be determined to love. Well, Preacher dear, I'm supposed to love you and I know you have to work on it. But the Bible says you have to love me. You don't really have a choice or you're gonna be in trouble. Amen? They have a labor of love to an unbelieving world. Read on with me. And patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the prospect of long suffering. What is hope? It is a confident expectation they have patience, and hope, it's a confident expectation that one day Jesus is gonna come. Listen, they're preparing for the second coming. Even in Paul's day, they're preparing for the second coming. It's doctrinal. Are we prepared for the second coming? I, well, preacher and he's not coming yet. I don't think he's coming. Honey, I can promise you this. He's coming. I can feel it. I can sense it. I know it. My heart is persuaded. I am confident. Just as much as I'm standing here tonight on this stage to try to preach to you the gospel, I am fully persuaded that Jesus Christ is coming again. Read the signs and the times. They'll tell you the Lord Jesus Christ is coming and we need to be making ourselves ready. The Bible says that in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. The Lord's looking at us tonight. Look at verse four. Look at verse four. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Oh, here's a doctrine. Election. What does the word election mean? It's chosen. You know, last November... You went to the polls. There was a, an election. You were voting on this guy for president or this guy or this person uh, for president. That's you voting. And I tried to tell you how to vote. Here's who you need to elect. I'm just gonna go out on a limb. Here we go. And the Lord won't leave me hanging there. You know who you need to vote for? I hope they're listening to me on Facebook. I'm gonna tell you to vote for. You need to elect Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. That'll be the best choice that you'll ever make. The Bible says that your election is of God. Now I looked in the Old Testament and every time the word elect is there, it's speaking of Israel. They are elect. They are chosen of God. Except one time. And that one time that's not speaking about Israel, it's speaking about his son. He calls him his beloved. Mine elect. I believe God chose his son, don't you? <laughs> I believe God loves his son. May I just read you something tonight? John fifteen sixteen says this. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You know why he went to the cross? Because he made a choice to love you Amen. and to die for you. Not for you only. He died for the sins of the entire world. There's not one person, not one boy, not one girl, not one man, not one one woman, not one that Jesus Christ didn't die for. I just preached over here at the school on Monday and God saved somewhere between 10 and 15 kids. They were just coming to the altar weeping and crying and Pouring their hearts out to the Lord, it was it was amazing. I had parents texting me, calling me, saying, "What in the world had my kids come home there weeping and crying?" And they said, "I just want Jesus. That's all. I just want Jesus." I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost got to move it. And you know, if you're going to be a church, it's going to make an impact. You've got to be a church that hears the gospel. You've got to hear it. Amen. You may say, "Well, preacher Darren, God's not doing anything." Well, He did on Monday. And I fully persuaded he did on Tuesday and he's doing it today too, amen. 1 Peter chapter one, verse two. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now here's here's the truth. God gave you the freedom to make a choice. You can make a choice to receive Christ or to reject Christ. He gave you that freedom. He also, as God, knows what your choice will be right? And and he loves you no matter what choice you make. But if you choose him, he's chosen you. And if you reject him, he's going to ultimately reject you one day. The Bible says, he that confesseth me before men, him will I confess before my father. The doctrine of election. Read again with me. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Here's what he's telling that church at Thessalonica. I know it's bad. I know there's a pandemic of rejection. I know there's a pandemic of mockery. I know there's a pandemic of ridicule. But honey, you've been chosen of God. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Amen? Verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. What about that? Paul preached and the Holy Ghost moved. Paul preached the word of God. Three weeks is all he was there in that city. He preached the word of God and the Holy Ghost convicted men. And when men came to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost and the Lord Jesus Christ Through God the Father converted them, established their faith, and he saved their soul and forgave their sins. Look, and in much assurance, you can know that you know you're saved as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Paul said, I I didn't come in there. When I came in there, I preached to you. I, I lived to you what I was preaching. That's what he's saying. Can you say that you are living what you're preaching? Are you living out what you're declaring? That's what Paul is saying. All right. So, if you're going to be a great church, you've got to be a church that hears the gospel. Number two, if you're going to be a church that makes an impact, you've got to be a church that heeds the gospel. Do you not just hear, but heed? This church at Thessalonica heard Paul's preaching. That He preached in Athens. He preached in Corinth. He, he preached in Berea. He, he, he preached in Philippi. There are people that heeded the gospel. Have you heeded to the gospel? I did, thank God. Hearing the gospel was great, but when I heeded to it, that's what made the real difference. We had some young people who not only heard the gospel, but they heeded to the gospel. They, they made a choice based on the word of God that they heard and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Look with me in verse number six. And you became followers followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. After you got saved, when when you heeded the gospel, Paul said you became a, a follower of us And of the Lord, you may say, I don't like that wording. I don't think you ought to follow a preacher. Well, I agree, unless the preacher's following Jesus. If the preacher's following Jesus, you can follow the preacher. Amen. I could read some scripture right there, and maybe I ought to. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you ought to underline this verse, verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1. Very important that you see this truth. Paul, again, is our writer, led of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was, is without controversy or without contradiction in the Scripture. He has ordained these words that are pinned down. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Amen? Amen. There are Sunday school teachers that you can follow as they follow Christ. There, there's mamas, there's daddies that you can follow as they follow Christ. Are y'all okay with that statement? Yes. So go back to our text in First Thessalonians. Paul says you became followers of us and of the Lord. After they did what? After they heard the gospel? No. After they heeded to the gospel. To hear is great, but to heed is better. If you want to make an impact, you've got to heed the gospel. Having received the word in much affliction, don't you think? In that day in Thessalonica do you think it was popular to get saved Jason got arrested for it I mean no telling what happened to some other families the rejection and the ridicule in in, in that city and in that community was great and impactful it was filled with suffering hardship difficulties to live for Jesus Christ we're living in a day now when it's not popular to serve Jesus anymore Not popular with the world. You just look around. You're seeing churches that are emptying little by little by little. The Lord said before he comes again, there'll be a great falling away. You may say, oh, it'll never happen to me. I'm not falling away. But honey, you just look around. Because of a pandemic, because of COVID, there's a great falling away that's happening. Can you not sense it? And you want to blame the preacher and you want to blame the choir and you want to blame the church. But the truth of the matter is. It's ourselves. And the falling away is happening all around us. The Lord said it would. God's allowed these things to take place that the approved may show themselves manifest in the days to come. In other words, the cream will rise to the top. And at Thessalonica, if you're gonna continue serving in that church, you're gonna have to go through the affliction and the hardship and the pressure and the stress. You're gonna have to keep pushing on. You're gonna have to persevere. You're gonna have to serve when it's not popular. And this is what Paul said. Look at the end of this verse. This is beautiful. Paul says to them, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, it's one, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And stemming from that is joy <laughs> and peace. Uh, joy is that, that you are blessed no matter what your circumstances are. If they laugh at you, you can joy in the Lord. And if, and if they rejoice with you, you can joy in the Lord. Amen. No matter what, the Lord be for you. Who could be against you? Okay. So I begin to think about this verse about the explosive power of the gospel. Because it has changed lives. It has converted souls. And the impact in that city was mighty. Though, listen, the devil will do all he can to get your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. Get you to focus on politics. On the world, on science, on the Supreme Court, I'm telling you, anything he can get your eyes off the Lord with, he's going to do it. Remember what happened to Simon Peter when he was walking on the water, got his eyes off the Lord, down he went. Okay. So number two, if we're going to make a mighty impact, we've got to be a church that heeds the gospel. Thirdly, if we're going to make the impact we need to make, we've got to be a church that heralds the gospel. Look with me in verse number seven. We've got to herald the gospel. Verse 7. So that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. The word in sample, you know what it means? It's a model, it is a mold, it is a type of the strongest order. I got a call one time from a preacher friend going through a struggle. And he said, Preacher Daniel said, I want to ask you a question, and I need your advice. And this, I get a lot of calls like this. And he said, I disbelieve. I said, I don't know why you didn't even call me and ask me, because, you know, who am I? He said, well, I just look at Bethel Church, and I see Bethel is a model church. That's what he said. Mm. That's what I thought. A model of what? <laughs> what are we a model of? Are we a model of what a church ought to be? Are we a model of dysfunction?" I mean, what are you, you're the church, what are you a model of? They said you're a model. A model of what? A model of someone who makes an impact? He said you are in samples, you are a model, not just a, look, look at the wording, Macedonia and Achaia, those are regions. He didn't just say you're a model to Thessalonica. You're a model to the whole region of Macedonia. Paul heard a Macedonian call, not just to go to Philippi or to Berea, but also to go to Thessalonica. Honey, tonight, hear me. Are you the type of person that could say, I have been impacted by the gospel and I'm heralding the gospel. I'm making a difference, not just at Bethel church, but in my community, in my city, in my region where I work, in the marketplace. Can that be said of you? I'm just afraid tonight if we're not even able to get out to the house of God to worship, we probably aren't witnessing out in the world very effectively. If your faith's not strong enough to get you in the house of God, I'm afraid your faith may not be strong enough to do much witnessing out in this world filled with persecution. I'm just challenging you, challenging you. So, verse eight, and from you, no, four from you, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad. Said you folks, in the, I preached there three weeks. Not even every day of the week. Three Sabbath days I preached there. And the gospel was so impactful and so powerful that it has set that city on fire so much so that they're not only witnessing spreading the word of the Lord in Thessalonica, they're spreading the word of the Lord in Macedonia and Achaia. We can't even do that with the internet. Amen? They had no Instagram. They had no put your face in the book. They, listen, they had none of those tools, but the word of God was spread throughout the regions. And even, look at the the wording, even greater than Macedonia and Achaia, it was in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad. Look, look at this statement. So that we... Need not to speak anything. You know what the preacher just said? I've worked myself out of a job here. What about that? He preached three Sabbath days and left there and their faith got, I mean, the word power is the word and I think the word power is found in verse number five. The word power is a Greek word dunamis, We get our word dynamite from it. It means power unlimited, power unequaled. Amen. Holy Ghost power so impacted these people's lives. They spread the gospel with so much courage and so much faith and so much love that Paul said, I don't even have anybody left to preach to. You got the gospel going everywhere. I've worked myself out of a job. That's what he said. That is impacting, heralding the gospel. A church that's making the impact, a church that is mighty before God, is a church that is heralding the gospel. Oh, Preacher Darren, just what is the gospel? You keep saying the gospel. What is the gospel? All right, let's get technical. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm almost done. I'm going to take time to read it. 1 Corinthians 15. What is the gospel? Not the gospel according to Darren, the gospel according to the word of God. What is the gospel? What am I supposed to be heralding? What am I supposed to be preaching? What am I supposed to be testifying and witnessing about? What is the gospel? Verse one, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I believed unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Here's the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. Death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the gospel. Are we preaching the gospel pure and powerful before the community, before the church, before our fellow man? Are we declaring the gospel? Oh my, Paul, look at verse number nine. For they, go back to our text, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul said when we got there, you were pagans, you were idolaters. There was not one Christian to speak of in that community. There is not someone laying the gospel that is even mentioned. When Paul came in, they were all corrupt and wicked and Paul preached the gospel and it spared their hearts and their souls and they got saved. They it changed their world so much, they spread the gospel to the ends of the world. Amen. Verse 10. And to wait. Here, here, here's the church that's preparing for the second coming. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from wrath to come. But well, there's a whole message in this verse. I think, first of all, to wait for his son from heaven speaks of his return. Jesus is coming soon. His return will be twofold. It'll be first in the rapture. The dead in Christ shall rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he will rapture you home at his return. We'll be in heaven seven years where there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb and where there will be the judgment seat of Christ. And in those seven years on earth will be a time of tribulation, yea, great tribulation, like this world has never seen. If you think the pandemic is bad, honey, it is not a drop in the bucket to what the tribulation and the great tribulation are going to be like. You will not buy or sell without taking the mark of the beast. And you want to fuss and fight about whether you get a vaccination or not, honey, you won't even eat. I don't care, bless God, who you are. If you're alive in that day and you weren't saved, you won't even eat at McDonald's unless you take the mark. It will not happen. You'll not get a religious excuse. You'll have no recourse whatsoever. And if you take the mark of the beast, you're forever lost. The only way you'll make it is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ in that day and stay away from that mark. You'll not be able to bank, you'll not be able to buy or sell down to a local supermarket. You're gonna have to raise your own crops, you're gonna have to raise and kill your own livestock. Lord have mercy, why don't you just get saved now rather than trying to wait through that entire mess. Why don't you call on, thank God, I've called on Jesus and I'm saved tonight. And I'm waiting for his son to be sent from heaven where he's going to rapture us home, amen. And at the end of those seven years, as the Antichrist and his armies enclosed down upon Israel, the Bible says the heaven's gonna open up and Jesus Christ is gonna return. Hey, when he came at the rapture, he took his saints home. But when he comes after seven years to return to put his feet back on this earth, he's coming with his saints. We're gonna be riding on the white horses right behind him. And let me tell you something, there's gonna be a battle and I won't have to fire a shot. We're in a fixed fight and the devil's gonna be defeated. Hey, Paul is telling this church, be preparing for the second coming. Not only the return, but I see here a resurrection. He's talking about his son, whom he raised from the dead. Now, this is my theology. Since God raised Jesus from the dead, he has the ability to raise those that are saved from the dead. The dead in Christ, he will raise them up. You may say, that is an impossibility. No scientist can do it. You're exactly right. There'll be no scientist that can do it. But the Lord God Almighty is gonna raise them up To be their bodies, to be reunited with their soul. And it'll be a glorified, but I say, Hallelujah, church. He ought to be, he is preparing us for the second coming. And people, when you preach this nowadays, look at you like you've lost your mind. But at Bethel, you ought to be a church that's an end sample. You ought to be a church that's a model church that says, Thank God Almighty, hey, he resurrected his son from the dead. Never to die again hallelujah to God there's another something here the Bible says even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come that's speaking about redemption he's redeemed us from the wrath to come the wrath of what? the wrath of God why the wrath of God? because sinners rejected his son as he laid down his life shedding his blood going through that suffering and for those that rejected him God is going to show his wrath on the antichrist. His wrath upon wicked ungodly sinners. The wrath of God to come but I've been redeemed. My past sins are under the blood. Hell not answer for that stuff anymore. It's cast as far as the east, his from the west. I'm redeemed, thank God, and the wrath of God cannot fall on me. Hallelujah. In conclusion, years ago at a train station, there was a group of people waiting for a train to arrive in. And as they were waiting in that group, there was the station master and there was a young lady whose fiance was on that train. And the station master, he had a schedule. He knew just exactly when that train was going to arrive. He knew the engineer of the train. He knew how many cars were on the train. He knew how many passengers were on the train. There was really not anything he didn't know. He knew the train was coming. Now the young lady, she didn't know as much as the station master did about the train. All she knew was her fiance was on that train and she's longing for him. She's looking for him. She's listening for the train. (laughs) Now, Think about it. Sometimes at the church, we'll be like that old station master. We know what our Bible says. We know he's coming again. We know his, he's going to get his saints. We, we know that there's going to be seven years in heaven. We know he's coming. We, we have the schedule, right? I've just declared it to you. We know a lot of things about it, and sometimes that hardens us. But that young girl. She had a different spirit about her. All she knew, she didn't know all the specifics about the schedule. All she knew was her soon-to-be groom was on board that train. And she had a spirit of longing, anticipating. She loved his appearing. So I want to ask you a question. If you're a church that's making an impact in the community... What spirit do you have as you anticipate the rapture and his second coming? What spirit do you have? Do you have the spirit of knowing, well, I know the schedule? Or do you have the spirit of saying, Oh, even so come, Lord Jesus. I'm longing for you. I'm looking forward to live. This world is not my home. I'm a stranger here, and the longer I live here, the more I know I'm a stranger here, and I'm glad I'm on my way. Praise God to the glory land. What spirit do you have? Will you stand to your feet tonight? Lord, I want to be a church that's making an impact for the cause of Christ. Lord, I want to be a church that's hearing the gospel. I want to be a church that's heeding the gospel and a church that's heralding the gospel. Oh God, we'll not do it without you empower us, without your spirit to bless us to go forward. And I pray God that we tonight would assuredly gather that you have called us to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. May we praise you for the redemption you've given to us, for the plan that you've made of the rapture and your second coming. And God, may we, out of fear, knowing how things are going to be one day, may we testify and witness effectively to our fellow man. May we learn to pray and seek your face with a burden. God, may we pray for Bethel Church, that God, you touch her. We praise you for her. Help her, God, to be an example to all in the region to stay with the stuff. It's not about the youth program. It's not about the agent program. It's not about the size of the parking lot. It's not about the size of the ministry. It's not about the bricks or the mortar, but it's about the representation. Are we heralding the message of Jesus Christ? Help us, God, to do so, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.